0: Today's message is a different type of message, really, because we're going to be talking about some vision for this church here, specifically in Fort Smith, and this is going to be kind of a two-parter. We're going to start today, and we're going to finish it up next week. Like I said, we have so much to celebrate. The church has been growing, and you need to know that, that God is building a home here. And he is bringing people in. They're hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. They're getting baptized. They're getting plugged in. He's strengthening his church. He's growing his church across the state of Arkansas. New Life Church across the state is continuing to grow. And after the pandemic, it was like, what are we going to do? No one comes to church. Da, 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 da. And you can look at all the numbers and figures and get down. But we continue to have faith that the Lord, if we were just faithful, to teach and preach his word and to love and care for his people that the church would grow and it has grown. We're thankful for that. This church in Fort Smith is growing and you need to know that that is the heart around here is that new people would come in constantly and hear the gospel message and see their lives change. This church was not built to be a club or a hangout. I mean, we're thankful that people come in and we can use this facility for all sorts of things, but this ain't a country club. This is a place for God to move and work in people's hearts and their lives. And there's so many stories right now. We're meeting, the staff and the pastors here, we're meeting with so many people and there's so many stories about how people's lives are getting changed and how people are going all in with with everything that we've been talking about about a a place that we have these four things that we've been saying a lot lately. And if you know them, say them with me. The first one is follow Jesus. The second one is grow together. The third one, serve one another. The fourth one, live on mission. We've been about this now for several several months talking about this and to hear how God is moving in people's lives when they get plugged in with that vision, that they're gonna wake up every day to follow Jesus, that they're committed to growing, that they're plugged in serving. And every single day, whether they go to work or school or they're at their home, wherever they are, they're committed to living on the mission that God has for them. I'm telling you, it's exciting right now and so, when we look to the future next year, I will tell you that we have some incredible stuff happening. I spent this last week with some other pastors, and we, we just sat down and planned out our whole teaching calendar for the year. Next year, we're calling it the Year of the Bible, and it doesn't mean that we don't do the Bible normally. I know you might think that, well, what have we been doing? <laughs> you know, like we, But... Um, Next year specifically, we are mostly just teaching through different books of the Bible. And I believe that we're going to be teaching through six different books of the Bible in 2024. We're going to have everything centered around God's Word. And so... Our morning devos that you can uh, get signed up for, they're going to be around whatever book that we're teaching in. We're going to have life group curriculum around whatever book that we're teaching in. Uh, The Sunday mornings will be centered around whatever book that we're teaching in, and this will be happening across the state. And so for for next year, you can know when I come, I'm going to be learning a book of the Bible, and we're going to be getting in-depth through that. So we're very excited about that. Next weekend, I'm going to talk to you about where we're going outside of our church. And so we have the walls of this place. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking about today, what we're going to be doing inside the walls. Next week, we're talking about what's going to happen outside of these walls. But for today, I want to talk to you about some things that I pray and hope to see among us, among this church family. And so it is a different kind of uh, weekend. We're not going to be teaching through one particular passage this weekend. But I just want to share some stuff that I believe that God has put on and in our hearts for this place. Amen? All right, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three things today that I pray is true about our church. The first one is this. I want to see a church alive in worship. I used to travel around. Y'all, I've told y'all, I used to be a worship leader. So I used to be up here and singing, actually over here, <laughs> singing. And I'd sing, rain above it all, rain above it all. Like that used to be my job full time. And so uh, I would travel around and I, I had a friend named Marcus and he was the preacher, and so Marcus would go and preach, and I would sing. I'd do the singing, and we would go from church to church and do this stuff every weekend, and it was wild because on a Sunday morning, I could get up, you know, and I could sing the song, how great is our God, and everybody in the place would lift their hands. They'd be singing. They'd love it, and they'd be really engaged in worship. It's not about what I was doing. It was about the people responding to God, okay, And then Marcus would get up, and always Marcus is funny, and he'd say things, and he'd preach the word, and he'd be strong, and all this stuff, and people would really respond to God's word. So they were in worship, and they were in the word. We'd do that on Sunday morning. This is when I lived in New Mexico. And then to raise money for the church where we were at, um, we would travel to another church. And so I remember specifically... We went to a church in Oklahoma, which was probably the first problem, to be honest with you. <laughs> no offense, Oklahoma people. I love you. Michael is an Oklahoma man through and through. I love him so much, but they need Jesus. Amen. All right. So we would go to church. I remember this one time. We did the exact same worship songs. We did the exact same sermon, and I got off stage, and I told Marcus before he got on stage, I said, good luck, buddy. because <laughs> This is terrible. Like, nobody saying, Everybody, hands in their pockets, looking at me, staring at me. Marcus got up. He preached the word. He said all that. Nobody engaged at all. Everybody was ready to go to the Dairy Queen. Like, get out of here. We got to get to Dairy Queen, including me. Like, I was ready to go. I was like, forget this. It's done. I'll tell you, even on the weekend here We have multiple services, and so you guys, we call the first service. And then uh, the other people, we call them the second service. They're the others to you. You never see them, right? And so the first service and the second service, leading worship at those two services, you would think we do the same song. So exactly what they did this morning, they're going to do here in just about, depending on when I finish, here in about an hour and a half or so, uh, they're going to redo the whole thing. The experience can be completely different. One service, and I ain't gonna name which service, you don't matter, right? But one service, it could be like revival has hit this place, praise God. You guys need to cut a CD. We're going to tour the world and take the spirit of worship wherever we go, right? And the next service, it's not revival, it's like somebody finds something, we need to revive this service, it's dead, we got to do something in this place. There is such, there can be such a difference between the two things. And people say things like, how was worship today? How was worship today? And I've heard people say, well, they did that song I don't like. I'm like, okay, all right, well, I don't know. It was okay. I mean, it would be better next week, I hope, praise God. And, And I think to myself, like, that isn't even the right question. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, how was my worship today? because my worship should not be dependent on that song I don't like, or the people on stage, or what's happening in the room. Sometimes, I know you guys wouldn't know anything about this, sometimes a loud burst of static fills the room, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Like, I know, it's, it's really rare, but it happens. All of those things are these outside factors. You know how many of them should affect my worship? None of them. Because my worship is in response to my Savior, my Creator. There will always be a fight over your worship. There always has been. There always will be. What you worship, who you will worship. And in fact, this whole battle between good and evil, between light and and dark, between God and Satan. The whole thing, you know where it started. It started as a battle over worship. In the very beginning, before Adam, before Eve, before the fruit and the tree and and the garden, you can see about this. It's written in Isaiah 14. You can read about it in Ezekiel 28. Lucifer... Satan, Lucifer, was an angel before the Lord. And he wasn't just an angel, he was the angel that directed worship. He was the worship leader in heaven, skinny jean wearing and all. Like this was the devil, right? And he wasn't just a worship leader, but he himself was an instrument. The Bible talks about when he was created. That he was built in with percussion and pipes and the timber, which is like a tambourine type thing. And he was in charge of all the worship. And he saw it up close. And after a while, he got to a point where he decided he didn't want to lead the worship and direct worship to God. He wanted the worship to be to himself. In Isaiah 14, it says this, you said in your heart, this is talking about Satan, Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. This is the heart of Satan, to be worshiped. Even when Jesus was walking the earth. This is the kind of the deal that he wanted to make with Jesus. In Matthew 4, 9, he says, I will give you everything. I'll give you the whole world. I will, whatever you want, Jesus, you can have it. All I'm asking is for one thing. is that you would bow down and worship me. Like the same thing that got him kicked out of heaven, it's the same deal that he offers Jesus, and it's the same deal that he offers you. Satan wants you to worship him or something that he endorses. Like this is his heart. He hasn't changed. And what did God do in this moment where Satan rises up and he convinces a third of the angels? He's like, hey, everybody worship me. God... The, the Bible says that God kicked him out, and Jesus says it wasn't a long fight, that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's like there one second, and God said, okay, fight's over. You're gone. And he's like, where'd he go? What happened? He owed me five bucks. Where is he? <laughs> like, he's out of here, you know? I love that so much because it reminds me of, like, when your kid comes, and for the very first time, he really thinks, like, for me, like, fox. Bless his heart. He came one day. He really thought he could take me. He's like, fight me, Dad. I can beat you. I'm going to make you tap out. And you know, like, nothing makes Dad feel more like a dad than to whip his boy when he comes in like that. So I got hit him real quick with that stone-cold stunner. You know, it took me about two seconds to remind him who Daddy is. So that's what God did. He's like, oh, you want that? Boom, you're gone. Okay. So then what? God starts creating things. He creates the heavens and the earth and all that was in it. And then he creates you and he creates me and he creates all of us. When he made you, when he designed you because he did design you on purpose. He created you as an instrument. We are there I I before I became ministry pastor Brandon, I wanted to be a band director. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I used to play saxophone, and I was pretty good at saxophone. I was happy with myself. But anyway, there are two different types of instruments. There's wind instruments, and there's percussion instruments. There's melodic instruments that make melodies, and then there's rhythmic instruments that have rhythm. When God created you, he created you as two in one, both of those, all of those together in one. You have air in your lungs. You have vocal cords. You can make melody with your voice. He gave us hands to clap and feet to stomp and all these things. He created and designed you for worship. The Bible says in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is one of your assignments from heaven. God kicks Satan out, and then what did he do with that job opening? He gave it to you. He said, he's gone. I'm creating these people. And they're going to take his job. This is one of the reasons that Satan hates you. Because the very thing he was created to do, God removed him from it, and then he made you to do it. And so when you think about praise and worship and all these things, this is something that you are hardwired to do. This is why you respond to music. Have you ever thought about this? Like, in all of nature, like you don't hear... uh, I have a dog named Callie. My dog Callie is not writing songs in the middle of the night about heartbreak. You know what I mean? Like this is a, a human thing that is happening. Like we have this connection to music that is like, why do we have that? What is it about all these sounds that we put together in a certain way that is powerful to us. It's because God created you to be a musical person, to be a musical being, to respond to music. That's why we have music everywhere we go. We have music in our homes. We have music in our cars. We have music on our phones. We have music while we're at work. There's music playing when we're shopping, when we go to football games. When it's fourth down at a football game and that band starts up and the drums start going, boy, like everybody in the place is in it right now. Unless you're a Hog fan, praise God, I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Whooping. Okay. whooping. <laughs> <laughs> music changes our moods. Music moves us. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were telling me, this is a song I listen to when I want to be sad. And I was, I was thinking to myself, when you want to be sad, does anybody listen to music to make themselves sad? Like that—that that may be like uh, too much. What is it? Uh, a a first-class, first-world problem. Like I want to be sad. I'm gonna put. <laughs> it was Nick. I'm sorry. It was Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself: You need to go eat you a Christmas tree cake, Nikki, and be happy in the Lord. Amen. You were created to worship. You were made to worship. This is an assignment, assignment from God so important you can't outsource it to someone else. And I've heard people say, I'm going to leave the singing to someone who can sing. And that is not the point of it at all. My, my old preacher just say, Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise. It don't matter if it's a good noise or a bad noise. Just make a noise. Like when you come into this place, this is what I'm telling you. You can't sit on the bench. You can't sit on the bench in worship because things happen when we worship God. There's several things that as we come together as a community of believers, as a family of followers of Jesus, like when we lift up a sound of worship and praise to heaven, spiritual things are happening that you can't even see. It's far more important than just singing a song. Like the song is just, just a, kind of the method that we use to worship but the worship is more important than the song. The worship is more important than the instruments. It's more important than all the things that are happening on stage. The worship that you are lifting up to heaven is doing something spiritually that you can't see with your eyes, but is absolutely as real as the song that's being played. It's so important. Worship brings unity. There aren't many things in this world that bring unity. But in a church, in a family like this, we have people here from every type of walk, every type of background that you could imagine. We have people here that are very wealthy. We have people here that struggle financially. We have people here from different races and different ethnicities. We have people here that work white-collar jobs and blue-collar jobs. We have students. We have people that are young and old, men and women. All of us come in and it's like this different, a potpourri of things. Like everywhere you look, someone is a little different, right? When we sing together, when we lift up a praise, it's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. And at the foot of the cross, this is a, this is a, a quote that has stuck with me for a long time. And that it says this, all ground is level." at the foot of the cross. That means that no matter what kind of way I came into this room, when I'm focused on the Lord and I lift up a sound of praise and worship to Jesus Christ, I'm outside of who I am and it's all about who he is and we declare his goodness and we declare his faithfulness to us, to generations of believers. When we do that, nothing about who we are and how different we are, matters so much anymore. It brings a unity around who he is. When we worship the Lord in that moment, when all of our praise is lifted, this is why it's so important for you to, when we sing, I'm not going to sit on the bench, because listen to this out of Psalm 22.3. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. One translation says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That there are a lot of things that happen when we worship and praise the Lord together, when we lift our voice, but none more important than this. It is that God inhabits our praises. That we lift up praise and worship to God. And this is his throne that he sits on. This is where he dwells. This is how he is with his people when we lift up songs of worship and praise. If you need to get into God's presence, which you do desperately, whether you know it or not, you do, then we lift up a, a song of praise to him. And the Bible says that he is enthroned upon that praise. That he inhabits the praises of his people. What God does is he brings us on this spiritual journey. All of us, whether we know it or not, we're on a journey. When you come to this place, you get up in the morning, you get a cup of coffee. You get your kids ready. You take a shower. You get ready. Maybe it's frustrating. Maybe it's not. You get in the car. You drive from wherever you are all the way to this place. You find a parking spot. You get out of your car. You walk across the parking lot into the front doors. You get some coffee. You're greeted. You're given a thing. You come and sit down. like You're on this journey physically. But when you come into this room, we have a spiritual journey that we're on that God is taking us on. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. So we're starting here at the gates. And so we sing a song today, like, we praise you, we praise you, and break down every wall, and watch the darkness fall. Like, we're singing these songs, we're entering his gates. We're thankful that all the things that we face in life, all the problems that we deal with, that God is with us, and his strength is enough, and he has been faithful to us, and he has carried us. And so we give Thanks to Jesus. And we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, for taking care of me, for protecting me. We enter his gates. And then as we continue, we we enter his courts with praise. And so we lift up truths and things about God, his nature and what he's done and how he's done it and who he is. We enter his courts. So we're going from here to here. And God gets us into this place where his presence is. and, And he can deal with issues of our heart. And if you sit on the bench, then you miss out on all of this. And this is what you need. It's important for you to come to church. It's important for you to hear the word. It's good. I'm thankful that you're here. But what you don't need to miss out on is this journey that he is taking you on through your expressions of worship and praise to him. He can change you in this moment. He can change your eyes the way that you see things. Like you may come in one way, but when you're, you're in his courts, Like He can say, I want you to have a different perspective about something. I want you to see it in a different way. And what you came in thinking was a burden, you leave thinking is an opportunity. Because he's changed the way that you see it. He can change your ears and the way that you hear things. And maybe someone said something to you a certain way and it hurts you. But when you're in his courts, he can say, but did you hear the hurt in their voice when they said that? This is an opportunity for you to go back and minister and show the love of God to them. Like he can change your emotions. In this moment, the Bible says that in his presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. That when you get with God, he can do some work in your heart. So I'm not going to sit on the bench. I'm not going to just let somebody else do it for me because this is not an, this is not an assignment that you can offload to some other people. It's not just about making this room sound good by singing. It's about going on a spiritual journey with God. So I won't sit on the bench when I come in this place. My prayer is that we give our very best in worship, that we are alive in worship. Amen? Number two, I pray that we are a church that goes after people. This weekend, I went to Silver Dollar City, which is one of the more questionable things that I've done in my life. <laughs> it was so busy. And I spent the whole day on Friday waiting in lines. You go with these ideas that you're going to have all this fun and, you're gonna, and, and you wait in lines. I mean, that's a lot of the thing. I spent an hour in line for a corndog on Friday. And this is true. In New York, uh, there are places that the lines are long every single day. And there's a place that sells this thing called a cronut, which is like half donut, half croissant. And it's delicious. It's amazing. But you have to get there at like 5 a.m. and wait in line for two hours to get a chance to get one because they only make so many every day. And so I did this. I went in line and I was freezing and it was taking forever. And I was talking to the people around me and the people around me were paid to stand in line for someone else. And in big cities like New York, you can hire professional line standers. And, this is true. And for $65, they will bring you two of these cronuts. And you can enjoy them in the comfort of your own home. Okay. I don't know if it was worth it or not. At the time, I would have said yes because I was really cold. But now that I sit on this side, I say no way. This is what I know, that sometimes we spend a lot of time and money and effort on things that they don't really matter that much. Our church has to be stronger about the things that matter. If you look at Paul's heart, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 9. He, you get to hear his heart for the people, for his his. Uh, countrymen and people of Israel who are far from God. And this is what he says. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Listen, verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. I'm going to read this again. I have sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Listen to this. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Paul is saying, I'm so messed up about these people that I love, that don't know Jesus, that I would do anything so that they would know the Lord. Even if that means being cut off from Christ, which is such a strong take, like my mind can't even comprehend it. It's so convicting. And I think what I wonder is what our church and our city would be like if we had a similar conviction about the people in our lives that we know that don't know the Lord, And it's very convicting for me. Like, I'm not even preaching at you. I'm preaching at me right now. That when we see our friends, our neighbors, our family, our co-worker, that we would ask ourselves, what is it that I can do? What can I do to see them come to know Jesus? Jesus. Like, is there anything in me, Lord, that I can give up? Do I have some selfishness that I'm holding on to that I can give up? Can I step outside of what makes me comfortable? Like, I like to live in my comfort zone. Can I give that up so that someone would know the Lord? What about my insecurities? Like, I'm not feeling very confident talking to them about that. But what if, God, I just put that aside? Would you please do a work in their heart? My reputation, what people think about me. What is it, Lord, that I can give up? so that they could know you. Paul is willing to give up everything for the things that really matter. And I'll tell you, what really matters to God? People. People matter to God. And there are so many people that are absolutely broken. And when I say broken, you might think, well, he's talking about Hope Campus. Those people are really broken down there. They don't have a place. They don't have this. They don't have that. And I am talking about them. But I'm also talking about the person that sits next to you at work. they, They look like they have everything together. They look like their lives are figured out and inside they're totally broken and you don't even know it. Those people matter. There's so many people that live with I mean, there are a lot of people, obviously, that live in sin, but there are a lot of people that live in this guilt and shame that's tied up in their sin that would keep, it's that more than anything that keeps people from walking through the doors of a church is they feel like people in this place know me and they know what I've done and I'm not going to go and subject myself to that. I know people right now that aren't in this place because they think someone knows the worst thing they did and they won't come to church because of it because they have guilt and shame. And I've had conversations with people where they say, do you think that God can forgive me again? Because I messed up again. And it's all, could God ever love me again? And here's what I'll tell you. When people ask you that question, if you have that conversation with someone about, can the Lord forgive me for this? Can the Lord forgive me for that? I've done a lot of weddings in my life. Between being a music guy, a wedding singer, uh, I've officiated a lot of weddings. I've been a part of big weddings and uh, precious, small, simple weddings, I've seen families get together and pray before the service. It's like the sweetest thing. I've seen families get together and take shots of fireball before the service. Like, <laughs> this is just it. I've seen families come together and love each other and encourage and write notes. I've seen families fist fight before the service. I've been to all kinds. One thing that I'll tell you is the same at all the weddings. The groom is at the front. He's standing there. He's waiting, and he's been waiting a lot of times all day for this moment, and he's getting nervous. These are, these are guys that have the, all the confidence in the world, way more confidence than I ever had. They'll be standing up here, and then they clam up. They get quiet. They get nervous, and they're waiting for what? That one moment when they see her come through the door and walk down the aisle. And in that moment, I mean, I'm standing here like this, I got my Bible in my hand, and I always look over to see what he's going to do because normally he's he's got tears running down his face or he's about to pass out or something like that, you know. (laughs) And he has all this. Nothing else in the world matters to this man right here except for that woman that's walking down the aisle. And when someone says, can God love me again? Can he forgive me again? I'll read this out of Isaiah 62. It says this As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is what you have to know that God has been waiting for you to come to him. Like when you come back to him, you may have messed up again, you may have sinned, you may have done all. He's waiting, he's looking. And he's ready. And whatever it is, like you get to the end of a service and someone says, bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand if you've done this. He's waiting for that hand to go up. If If we get up here and we say, if you've been struggling with this, if you've been away from God, then pray this with all sincerity. I believe that he leans over and he's like, come on, pray it. Come to me. Come to me again. Like he's waiting in the same way that a groom waits for his bride. Like he's waiting for you to return to him. You matter. People matter. And I'll tell you what a lot of people are waiting for. An invitation. A lot of people are waiting for you to invite them. You might not know it and they might not know it. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit can work. Don't ever pass that up. Let's be a church that goes after people. The last thing, number three, I want to be a church that hears. And I know I'm out of time here. Sorry, Nikki, I'm on it. I'm on it. God not only sees people. The Bible says that he hears the cries of his people. He listens to their struggles. He hears their pains. In Exodus 3, 9, it says, Behold, the cry of the people Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. When I had kids, I learned the difference between, like, crying and really crying. And if you're a parent, you know the difference. Like, crying is, uh, I don't want to eat these peas. I don't want to eat these carrots. Someone took my toy. Like, that's crying. Really crying is like my, my son Fox had a yearly scheduled trip to the ER at some point for like the first seven years of his life. I ran over his foot one time, like it's a whole thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jessica, uh, we were at a friend's house. He fell out of a tree house and I heard crying. Jessica heard that's really crying. And she popped up like a pop tart. She was gone so fast out the door. She scooped him up. He had, what, fractured his pelvis? Like, it was a really serious thing. And I was just sitting back like, rub some dirt on it. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> and Jessica heard the cry, right? She heard the cry. There are some cries in the Bible that God expects us to respond to. Write these three things down. I'm going to get through them. We're going to talk about these more next week. One, the cry of the poor. We have several opportunities coming up to help people that are in need. You may have never grown up in a home where you wondered where your next meal is gonna come from, some people do. And there are kids that have asked from this church, we'll have food for an event, we'll have food at a connect class or something, and they'll come by and they'll say, "If, if you have some left over, can I take that home so I can have dinner for my brother and my sister? And, like, you just melt to pieces because I think my kids have never had to ask that question, but there are some kids that do. Lord, Jesus, left. you know how much he emphasized loving the poor? We have, to, we have to get this right. We have thanks serving where we're going to take food all over the city to people. And you might have this little bit of cynicism in you where you're like, I don't know if they really need this. It don't matter if you know if they need it. It don't matter. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We have Christmas mall where we bring kids in and we make sure that these kids have Christmas gifts I go to my mom's house. My kids get so many Christmas gifts. There are kids in this city, they don't get one thing. We're gonna help them. I want to hear the cries of the poor and respond to them. That's why we are down at Hope Campus. That's why we do we do this because we want, we want to have the heart of Christ. The second cry is the cry of the lonely. And there's so many people that have no one. Like really, no one. This is one reason that we do life groups. We have so much room to grow in this. Y'all don't know how much it means when we, like, we sent a group caroling to some like retirement places. Like Christmas caroling. And they told me nobody in the group could even sing. And nobody cared at all. Because someone cared enough to show up. And these people didn't have anybody. Lord, let us hear the cry of the lonely. And the last one is the cry of the lost. What we hear is hatefulness. What we hear naturally is just people that are jerks. A lot of times it's people that are hurting that need Jesus. And I want to retune my ears so that I can hear through all that noise and I can hear someone's heart that needs the Lord. Lord, let me hear it. Because Jesus described what this sounds like in eternity. He said that there are people that will spend eternity apart from God. And that sounds like weeping and gnashing of teeth. And those cries shook Jesus. It's not enough for the cries of these people just to stir you so that you feel a little emotion about it. It has to move you. It has to lead you somewhere. This is one of the reasons that we do our Spanish service. Y'all know at 1245 we have a service, Pastor Israel and Irma, Manchaca, The most precious people have been leading that service for years. Before this church ever existed, they were in this city. And they came here and they said, we need a place, a life-giving church for people that don't speak English to come in and get connected. The whole vision of new life, that they would follow Jesus, all those things. Like they wanted that for people that don't speak English. They started that church and every Sunday at 1245, a couple of weeks ago, they had 300 and something people in this place. Because their ears are tuned to the cry of the lost. And it's not always easy to do this stuff. It's not. But it has to move us because it's worth it. People matter to God. When you're dealing with someone in your life and you say, I know that they're lost. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. We call it checking the doors. Sometimes God will give you a door of opportunity, okay? And for every person that matters to you here, man, they need Jesus. This is what I'm asking you to do. Check the doors with them. That means three things. Sometimes you'll go up to a door, and it's closed. It's locked. And, like, these people are not open to hearing anything about God. They're not open to Respect that. We ain't trying to force anything on any person. Respect the door that's closed and pray for them. But we're gonna honor that and respect it. Sometimes a door will be cracked a little bit. It ain't wide open, but it's just enough so you can peek around. Explore those cracked doors. Like if a door is open a little bit, like let me get in here and let me say something to you. Like, how can I pray for you today? I've been praying for you. Is there anything specifically I can pray about? Or you can say something like, let me give you, is it okay if I share with you something that God has done in my life recently? Like I want to tell you about something that I'm just thankful that God did in me. Explore those doors. See if you can open them up a little wider to a a bigger conversation about and eventually bring them. If you see a door that's open, especially in a sensitive moments, sometimes people's doors are wide open to being, uh, for you to share the gospel or the love of Christ in their life, we walk through every open door. But check the door. A lot of times we don't even check the door to see where they're at. When we don't check the door, we miss that opportunity altogether. God may have it wide open just waiting for you to check it, but go up to every door. In your life, when you encounter someone that needs the hope of God, and check it, see where they're at. This week, do that with one person. Check the door, see where they are. It might be closed, pray. It might be open a little, get that foot in there. It might be wide open. Well, then share the gospel with them and bring them with you to church.